Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What's up, honey? I'm Sadisimon. For years, I was looking for a spiritual sanctuary, but never felt like I fit into the wellness space. I was so turned off by the idea that I had to fit into what spirituality should look like or should sound like, I carved out a niche of my own. By embracing my spiritual sassy nature, I became an embodied permission slip to allow others to do the same. Spiritually sass is owning where you fall on the many spectrums of life, living in the complex gray areas between normal and nonconformist. Whether you identify as plain vanilla or sparkly rainbow gelato, my community welcomes and celebrates you in all your delicious potential. This podcast is for people longing for an avant-garde awakening. On the Spiritually Sassy Show, we're going to explore and celebrate what it means to show up in your full power, feeling fabulous, looking fabulous, and making a fabulous impact together. One guest at a time, we're revolutionizing and redefining what it means to be spiritual in today's modern world. This episode is brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. As I graduate myself, the health coaching certification has been a huge ally for me to be where I'm at today. Are you curious to learn more or thinking of kicking off a new chapter in your career? Head over to the show notes and click the link to get a delicious, massive discount of $2,000 off of your tuition when you pay in full or $1,500 off if you use a payment plan. And my love, don't forget, you have to use my name as a referral to get this epic discount. And just in case you forgot, my name is Sa Di Simone. Hello, gorgeous community, and welcome to a new episode of the Spiritually Sassy Show. I am so excited for today's episode because I think I could say that today's guest is the person who I perhaps have the most intimate connection with. My sister, for real, my blood sister, Moon de Simone. Moon is a spiritual teacher, a mentor, and a meditation guide. She's known to be everyone's spiritual godmother. That's right. Her approach is deeply rooted in Tibetan Buddhism, contemplative psychotherapy, and Hatha yoga. She has studied and spent extended time in retreats in India, Nepal, and Indonesia with some of the most prolific spiritual masters of our time, like His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Lama Zopa Rinpoche, Jetsuma Tenzin Palmo, Venerable Rubina Quartin, and the Oracle. Kadrula. Moon has taught at Kripala Center, Maha Rose, Havaz Media, and worked with Mind Body Green and Well and Good, among so many others. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Hey, everyone, today's guest is, I say every guest is super dear, special to me, but today's guest is, is uh, the most special to me. Because of our biological bond, uh, you guys are going to be be listening to 
my dear darling sister, someone who's been with me uh, during all of it, honey. So get ready to get your mind blown because she's someone who is like an impeccable guide and someone that I go to for for help. Me along with so many other people. Moon, this Simone, welcome to the Spiritually Sassy Show. Hello. Hello. Oh my goodness, what an honor. I'm blushing over here. You're so excited <laughs> to be here. Um, thank you, my love, for having me. I'm just excited to be here, to be with you, to chat and share in the space. So thank you. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. So first question we ask everybody uh, at this time, before I, I ask anyone a question, I usually share a little bit more about about the relationship I have with the person. But girl. We siblings, honey, for everyone that's mm -hmm. listening, we came out of the same vag, actually, no, because mom had the, what do you call the thing? C-section. But we lived in the same womb for nine months. We did. That's we right. shared the same, the same vessel. <laughs> that's right. Um, so it doesn't get more intimate than that. So mm -hmm. let's talk. First question I ask every guest, who are you right now? Mm, yummy. Uh, right now, I am, I'm excited. I feel like a little kid. I feel excited. And I feel right now I am curious. And right now I am also relaxed. And I, I'm, I'm just feeling like I'm, I'm like in a <laughs> ground and I've never been here before, which is true. Um, yeah, right now, the majority of me is just excited and, and just feels like there's Something's new bubbling right now in this moment and in other time, other aspects of my life. So it feels like a, ah, like that. Yeah, I think that, I love that, that. Sound, that sound sort of, you know, adds up and, and makes it all. I love mm -hmm. that. No one's given us a sound. And we've had many musicians on the podcast, but you're the first one that's saying, who are you right now? Ah, like that. So I can get into that. Thank you. <laughs> so let's mm -hmm. talk. Let's talk about your past, right? Because you have been an international fashion model. You've been the photo director of International Magazine. You've lived between Paris and London. You lived in New York City. You traveled so much and you've done so much work in the fashion industry. Can we talk about that for a little bit? And 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 then the the and then that will be the gateway for us to start talking about like how the fuck did you become a spiritual teacher? Like what was what mm -hmm. prompted you to leave the fashion industry um, and and make your way into into the into the spiritual space? Mm -hmm. uh, were you desperate or you, were you were you stagnant? But talk I about the modeling part. Okay. <laughs> I was desperate and stagnant. I think I was both. I love that. I haven't heard that before. I was definitely desperate and definitely stagnant. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I love that we're going right into it. it I, I remember being told I was supposed to be a model from a very, very early age. I think, like, maybe it's a Brazilian thing. But growing up in Brazil, being 14, 15, really tall, really skinny, people just look at you and say, oh, my God, you're a model. Oh, my God, you're going to be a model. And I remember watching, you know, Giselle Bunchen and, and supermodels. They're still around. But I remember watching them at, on TV and thinking, wow, no. And now looking back, I recognize what was really interesting about that was the level of freedom and confidence and expression that they had on the runway. And something just like, oh, I felt like, oh, I 
I, I recognized that felt really attractive to me at that time. And I hadn't actually put all of this together until very recently. And really now, actually, that you asked. So I think, you know, being told I was a model from very early sort of kind of like got me out of having to think what I wanted to do or who I was, which was good. And also was a detriment to when I left the modeling industry and I left the fashion industry. I was just like, who the fuck are you? Which was what propelled me into the spiritual path. But we'll get to that. So we'll fast forward to 21, 22, moved to New York. And you actually told me there's this TV show and we should audition. And I was just like, oh my God, fuck yeah. Um, it was really just uh-huh. everything worked uh-huh. perfectly back to back. You know, uh-huh. we I sent that audition tape uh, to be on Bravo's Make Me a Supermodel, which was a reality TV show. Um, uh-huh. I got in, you know, went on the show and it was incredible. Also very challenging. Um, accumulated a lot of habits that <laughs> kept me stuck for a few other 10 years or maybe less. But it was also a very exciting experience because I got to see people really living fully, like creatives, really doing what they loved and worked with a lot of amazing people. I was the last girl standing. Um, I just, I remember thinking, wow, this is amazing. And it's also really scary. And, you know, they portrayed me as the bitchy, cursing, far out girl, you know, Uh which I (laughs) enjoyed. I was like, okay, I'll take that. Someone else Uh telling me who I am. Absolutely. Uh At that time, it was like a, a, a bonus. Uh-huh. Leaving, I left the show and got signed. And like you said, on the intro, lived in Paris, lived in London, was recognized on the streets. My, my face was on the side of a bus. And it was this high, you know, living in New York and just getting into any parties because I was that girl. And people recognized you everywhere. I remember how how having you on my arm was like the the ultimate arm candy we went everywhere we did everything we had everything for free it was like oh my god it was so so fun but also so self-destructive yeah it was self-destructive for sure and it was also very distracting you know it was like oh wow if all of this is working if people are liking me then i don't have to look at the other stuff that i recognize is literally rotting inside uh-huh. which I did a really good job at pretending, hiding all of my emotions and everything that I didn't know how to deal with. Uh-huh. And then I worked at Bullet Magazine, which you founded. I was living in London. Again, one of those things that I called you and you just said, I'm going to start a magazine. How about you move to New York and come be the photo director? And I'm just like, oh my God, what do you mean? But yeah, I was already, you know, it got to the point that I'm 24, 25, which is old unless you've become you know an icon a supermodel it's old for the modeling industry so i have to face that and i've also and how stupid is that how stupid is that that that's the standard of this industry you know yeah it's it's very limiting and very infuriating in so many ways yeah it's the collective uh, let me just jump in one second it's what i share with you guys so often it's the collective hallucination that certain Mm -hmm. that a certain a, a certain age uh, is beautiful that a certain body type that a certain skin color that a certain something is 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 uh is the standard of beauty that's the collective hallucination so all the work that we're doing here together uh is to is to dispel and to eradicate this collective hallucination that certain things are are are, are better than others you know we'll get to a point that the duality will fade away so back to you mm-hmm. back to you yeah beautiful it was definitely a hallucination i was high on that hallucination i bought i i drank that kool-aid i bought that belief and i believed that my modeling 
career was over. And it actually worked to my benefit because I found acting and I was like, oh my God. You know, I remember going to an acting class in London and thinking, this is what it's like to be so alive and to have so many emotions and to be so expressed. And at that time I thought, well, acting is a way into something other than just be the girl that I'm expected to be and have just, just as much as I was mostly happy and content, there was a lot of, par- a lot of parts of me, many parts of me that I just didn't know how to address a lot of emotions that I never knew how to process or face. Mm-hmm. And I would just have this huge volcano eruptions like once a week, but every other moment I'm like, everything's fine. No Coherent problem. Mask- yeah, exactly. The mask was so fake. She was on full time. You know, and she did a really good job of pretending, pretending, pretending. And it, and it worked until it didn't. So back to being in London and hearing that call. And I said, yeah, I, I, I'm done. I think I'm ready to come home. And, I, and it was amazing because I got to play a part on the other side of the camera. I got to, you know, welcome models and be something that I wish I had back then, which was I was celebrating them. I was excited to work with young talent and old talent. I was excited to be part of something other than just a face, to actually be more part of, you know, the actual creative process of this mm-hmm. beautiful thing of that we were creating at the image. magazine. But I want to talk yeah. about I want to talk about the before we leave the fashion industry, before we talk leave modeling. I want to talk about the eating disorder. I want to talk about the anxiety. I want to talk about the the inner critic. I want to talk about the sleeping pills and the laxatives. I want to talk about that stuff that only <laughs> I know. Perhaps uh, I think uh, some of your students know about this too. But yeah. I think we to just give the audience an an idea of someone who wasn't on a national TV show who who lived in, uh, internationally as a model who from for the outside world you had it all together. Yeah, you had it all absolutely. together and how was it what was happening inside you know yeah there was a there was a, a rotting definitely some very big rooms inside the house that it was me that were rotting inside and i was just pretending that they weren't but i could smell it and i could feel it but i mm. i just became really good at pretending um you know i think that a lot of people didn't even know that i was struggling with the amount of mm. of things that I was struggling, you know, binge That's eating right. and then not eating and then taking sleeping pills for three days because my, my agent said, you, you are on hold for this great job, but we will hear it in three days. And I say, well, I don't want to risk gaining any weight. They may be losing my chance. So I will take a sleeping pill and sleep and show, sure I did sleep for three days and then wake up. I didn't book the job. And it was just a level of obsession with that industry, obsession with an image, obsession with if I get this job, then, oh, my God, my career will just take off. And I think it's something that they get. Really, I'll be happy. I'll be happy. If I'll be I get happy. This job, I'll be happy. I'll be happy. Yeah. If I get this job, I'll be happy. If I get this I'll job, I'll be constantly happy. Constant yeah. happiness, right? The ultimate goal. Oh, yeah. If I get this job, all my problems will be over. If I get this job, I will no longer be so scared or angry or, you know, needing whatever it is that I was needing at that time. And... It was, I, I also see it's, it's sort of like, inst- like silently instigated in this industry, fashion industry, but in so many of the industries, it's like consumerism. Like if you have this, then you will be this, like, because of this, then you are something like, I, I really did believe that my self-worth was when I looked a certain way or when I wasn't skinny enough or my, my hair was like that, or when I had that job, there was no sense of like, I'm worthy because I'm alive, which is finally what I've had 
<laughs> the honor I've had a direct experience with since my spiritual, you know, many years of spiritual practice. And it was also something that was like people just accepted. You know, I remember That's like right. celebrating. Oh, I had a slice of pizza today and I ate so much. And everyone was just like, oh my God, yes. It was just like something that we celebrated and mm -hmm. we validated one another for being destructive with our bodies, with our minds, and with with our dreams it's like wait what and i and that level of like low level judgment and gossip and putting everyone down i thought i was cool because i was talking shit about people all the time and it was like it was accepted and then of course i realized now that and appreciated yeah of course i was i was celebrated for being such a cunt it was like mm -hmm. oh my god yes and i remember having moments where i would just like eat so much and I was just eating away my feelings eating away things that I didn't know how to give a vocabulary for I was just eating away parts of me that I didn't know how to meet or how to be with them so just like feeding myself but I didn't realize that I was not hungry for food I was hungry for life and for aliveness and for healing and, and connection and I was searching connection in the food in the alcohol in the smoking pot in the marble and the coke and the drugs yeah. Yeah, cocaine and the honey drugs. You and I loved oh, yeah. cocaine, honey. We loved cocaine. <laughs> I bless, it was bless, bless our young selves, huh? Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, and 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 I I do share more about this parts of my story with my clients and my groups, and I think it's important. Um, I actually was just sharing about this on the quote. I believe that the drugs, the alcohol, and the overeating, the binging and not eating, you know, that level of, of, of disordered eating, I had an alliance with those things, with those behaviors. I believe that they made me me. It was like, now I have real alliance. It's like refuge. But I believe that those were my support systems. Mm -hmm. That when I was using or when I was overeating or not eating or shaming myself in the mirror or getting on a scale and then getting off the scale or running in the snow and, you know, just doing <laughs> absent salt drinking Epsom salt and just losing myself, I was like, oh, I'm getting, I'm, 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 I'm getting there. I, I really, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see what we allow our conditioning to do that I was so steeped into that belief that, that I would just take myself to such places that looking back, I was truly harming and harming, har heavily harming my body to uh -huh. ways that now it's like, oh my God, I am so sorry that, you know, you endured so much. So uh -huh. it's been a long road of, of making friends with, you know, all of this and just really expressing so much forgiveness for how I was so lost. I was so numb and I was so high on the hallucination of uh -huh. Uh -huh. something that was far away from, from the actual truth. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay, but before we talk about forgiveness, which every guest has to, uh, it's like an, a required curriculum for the guests yes. <laughs> to talk about on the show. Let's talk about that call, then coming to New York, then working at the magazine, and then the acting, and then the awakening. And I also just want to say that we're both sober for everyone who's listening. How long have you been sober for, Moon? It's almost four years in November. Epic. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm four years and three months, so we're we're right there. We're right next to each other. Um, so let's talk about Bullet. Coming back, getting that call from me, coming back to New York, and then starting working in the fashion industry, you're like happy to be around. 
happy to be like a loving energy and a loving presence to the models who are coming to the magazine and working in the fashion industry, working in the magazine for a little while, and then you leave the fashion and you leave the magazine completely to start uh, to 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 begin an acting career, right? Yes, exactly. And the acting, how did it go? How was it? <laughs> I believe that, you know, those acting classes were some of my very first spiritual awakening that I just experienced a glimpse of like full aliveness, a sense of like, oh, wow, there's no parts of me that are distracted or anywhere else. I am fully here. I sense every ounce of my body. All of my senses were like, we're here having this experience. And I was, I was hooked. I, again, I found something else that took me to a place that I felt like, oh, I'm alive. Really alive. It was very exciting because I got to portray all these characters. And truly, my teacher loved that I wasn't scared. I was like literally living out all my, all my wildest dreams. So I did all the characters that like, it wasn't like, oh my God, the cool, sexy girl. I didn't want that. And my teacher knew. So she literally gave me all the roles that were like, I had a speech impairment and I had an accent and then I had a, another disability and I had something else. And it was just like every part of me got to really see some, some sort of like a spotlight. And it was like, it felt like I was really just making friends with the parts of me that I had abandoned for so long because I was trying to be this model or this like perfect cool girl. And now I got to just be totally messy and weird and funny and epic and wild. And it was celebrated again. I found someone else to celebrate my expression so it worked to the extent of like i'm i'm realizing that there's a power within me in the aspect of like i can put on a show quote unquote but it's more about i can express this part of me and really deeply connect with this other person and get something out of it which is you know we're all acting anyways and i and i found that i was like oh i'm i'm acting as a fully alive human being oh okay i wondered what this would be like as my as my life, you know, and it did start to trigger a lot of things because I started to pay attention in a lot of ways that I was I still abandoning myself in my real life because of acting. And I, I left I left the, the, the magazine and decided I was just going to work at a restaurant and make really good money and just full on go go for go for the acting. I hired a speech coach and I was taking auditions and self taping and like I was really in it. and. It was, it was, you know, like one of the most exciting times that I had until I, I went to India. But at that time, it felt like, oh, wow, I found something. I found something that, that I had been searching. And I thought it was modeling. And I realized that it was just a way into not just being this canvas, but like people wanted to hear what I had to say or what my perception was of that character or of that scene. You know, I was giving voices and a vocabulary to feelings that I never even knew I had. Until I actually tore my ACL in class. Um, well, I, I stretched or what is it? I extended my ACL skiing and then I tore it in class, which was kind of like a little tra- tragedy that I had to get carried out of class. And it was kind of like, oh, and another dream goes out the door, um, which was pretty, pretty devastating because I was out for like uh-huh. six months and like in physical therapy, living upstate, a uh, whole other story. Upstate but- New York. In Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, not even. I'd be really uh-huh. clear with what that was, which was which was traumatizing, really, because I was like, oh my god, I felt so alive, but again, I wasn't fully in my body because I was experiencing and expressing so much physically. But then I fell and tore my ACL. It became this huge ball that I had to be carried out. My knee 
sort of literally popped. And uh-huh. it just goes to show that there is a potential for all these incredible experiences, but I was present to it to the extent that I was available to myself. You know, if I were to go back to that time now, I knew what I can do different or like what I would do different moving forward, which, you know, there's still parts of me that were distracted, that were taking on those those habits that were still relying on those alliances that kept me out of the body. Really, you know, I was present, but not fully present. Therefore, there was well, the first it was like, if I could translate it a little bit, it's like my understanding what I'm hearing. It's like you, you we have an experienced presence until the acting class and then the teacher telling you to play these very challenging roles. Uh, it asked you to to really under to really like activate a whole part of your mind that you haven't activated before and it asks you to like really be in your body so it wasn't that you experienced the fullness of presence that you know of now that you teach so eloquently and so articulately to so many people today it wasn't that kind of that kind of quality of presence it wasn't that texture of presence that we know now but it was a qual it was it was presence enough to feel like something was it was like a liberatory path, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. let's talk, let's talk about like why all this is happening. You were experiencing uh, anger, right? And you had a very you had a long term relationship. Sure did. <laughs> I'm just laughing because if everyone could see your eyes right now, like yeah. <laughs> I'm like, honey, give us a yeah. juice, girl. <laughs> yeah. While all of this amazingness is happening, I'm also, you know, um, in a long-term relationship that lasted seven and a half years. And when I tore my ACL, I went to live at my ex-partner's mom's house in Pennsylvania in a very small town. And um, I realized then that I had so much anger because I was so resistant and I was so... I was just feeling, of course, I was feeling angry because of the accident, but then I started to feel angry at people that were trying to help me because of, because of being in crutches and going to physical therapy. And I was just like, oh my God, what is all this? And I started to realize, well, there's all this anger that I was like, oh, I just get angry sometimes. You know, I would just have these eruptions every now and then that will get quite violent, you know, like throwing plates and like screaming and running and, and slamming doors and just trying to get some drama, some thing, some energy, some life out of me. And keep up with the addiction of suffering, right? Keep up with the low level addiction to suffering that we all have. Yeah. Pervasive little suffering. Mm. Yeah. And and I, I realized that I'm grateful, you know, of course, that there was so much anger that all of those experiences happened because now I have been able to learn how to work with all this anger, but I didn't have a vocabulary for it. So again, I would go back to those alliances. I would go back to those behaviors. I would go back to the self-destructive self-talk. Like, how can you be so angry when you're supposed to be happy? How are you supposed to be so angry when you have this great family? How are you so angry when, you know, you're supposed to be living this perfect life because you have this great person and this family? And it was very confusing for me to accept that I could be angry while still having a loving family and someone that loved me, which is something that, I think a lot of us do struggle with accepting that you can be angry while having a lot of great experiences. Like anger can be a passing emotion amid a great day of sunshine and happiness and joy. Mm-hmm. And that was really confusing for me at the time. And I, and I would say that like, this is bad. You know, I cannot feel this anger. I don't have a, I don't have a reason for it. You know, I didn't really realize that I don't need a reason. Like I, 
like I would watch it in the movies or like it looked like someone else. It's like, whatever my reason is, the anger's already here. So let's just have a dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about, I mean, there's so many things that like, uh, the thing about like knowing someone so intimately that I want to like just talk about all these little parts and I'm like, oh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. So there's so many things that we could spend like hours and hours and hours bringing up and talking about it. Um, you know, I do want to say to everyone, like as much as we had very loving parents, they didn't have emotional intelligence. Uh, they didn't have uh, spiritual vocabulary. To like say to any of us, the three kids, which Moon is the oldest, I'm the middle child, and there's a younger one, younger brother, Mickey. Um, our parents had no no vocabulary to to educate us to like be with our emotions and not become them. And then our parents were also very angry parents. They were extremely loving but very angry. So so shouting, screaming, throwing, banging. This was all vocabulary that we were that we where we grew up watching. These are all things that we grew up uh, normalized uh, by, but just by being in relation to for so many years, right? Uh, so then, what was the what was the catalyst to you saying, okay, enough with fashion, enough with modeling, enough with acting, enough with New York, enough with this partner, enough, enough, enough is enough, enough of not knowing <clears throat> who I truly am. Enough of being lost. Enough of the fucking chaos. Enough is enough. I want something else. What was the what was the the catalyst to that first choice to to leave everything behind and say I am going to India and I'm going to Bodh Gaya, which is the the rural village that the historical Buddha uh, uh, became enlightened. Like, what was the prompt? <laughs> yes. Several things, actually. I remember leaving class one day um, after I, I healed my ACL, I went back to class. And I remember saying to a classmate, I was like, I think I, I don't think I can do this anymore. I think I really have to, to just like go. And, and I remember remember saying, I don't think I can try to pretend to be other people. You know, I don't think I can try to be portray all these characters if I don't even know who I really am. Oof. Oh my God, which drop was, the mic. Which, which was, <laughs> ah, that's big. Because I didn't. I remember pausing and being like, so what do I really love? You know, from things mm-hmm. like milk or oat milk or mm-hmm. food or this kind of food. Mm-hmm. Or I remember just, I've always been following what I thought was cool or what was like in the, in, in the, in the, in the sphere. Um, I mean, this is just an example with the clothes and the milk, but something super simple as like, what, what really do I feel? How, how do I really feel at ease? And I remember thinking, I don't really know how to be relaxed. I didn't really know how to be relaxed. Hence why I was always smoking. Um, and then one perfect day living in a small broom studio apartment, you come back from India. And for some wide reason, I decided to say, yeah, come stay with us, with me and my my partner at the time in a very small, as you all know, broom studio apartment that comes to stay with us. And there was something in the way that you acted that started to annoy me and trigger me because there, I wanted someone that was curious. I was challenged by the way that you were acting because I, I was like, what is that? I don't know. It feels very foreign. So I was judging it, but then at the same time being like, but wait. If I've seen you in a whole nother light and now here is you feeling relaxed and like literally you were, you were praying for your food, you were breathing, you were telling me all these things. And I was like, okay, so if 
if someone that I know so deeply and so intimately has experienced something so profound and now sees this new Who way of being. Who used to be such a fucking crackhead. <laughs> bless my life. Bless my life. Bless my yeah. life. Has now and now has like it's, it's patience and, and praying and, and meditating and speaking about kindness and, and all the things, right? Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. it was very challenging. And, and at the same time, somehow I accessed a wisdom within me that I didn't even know I had. And I was like, okay, I want some of that. And I was like, okay, I want some of that. And literally was something took over me. And I said, yes, I want some of that. And I got to go. And I remember thinking I needed to make it fat, make it act fast. Otherwise, you know, doubts are going to pour in and I was going to give right. into that. And it was a matter of like two months that I gave up the studio apartment. I left the job, saved enough money, bought a one-way ticket. I donated my ex because I didn't have enough money. And then I went and I just bought that ticket and broke up with your partner, donated your eggs to raise money, right? Yeah. Left the apartment, left the job and, and then went to India. Yeah, overpacked like it was my business. You know, read all the all the blogs of what do you pack for India, and I remember thinking that I was so prepared, even though I I just had so many clothes that I didn't really need. But it's what you do. There was a part of me that was also so excited because I didn't know what was gonna happen, and that even though I didn't know, the moment I stepped foot in India and I landed in Bodhgaya in the small plane, I was like, oh shit. Like there was a, there was a something inside of me that just felt like, oh, I've been here before or like just felt mm-hmm. like I'm held or there's something here. And then, you know, the rest is history. India is mm-hmm. really where I, where I come alive. <laughs> That's right. And so that, from and, my side of the story, let me just jump in. Ruby. Yeah. From my side of the story, you, I am doing a 30 day meditation retreat a, a, a fucking 30-day meditation retreat. I had been on a spiritual path for six months now. I had done one 10-day meditation retreat and then in India and then later that fall, that summer I came to live with you. I went to I went to India the spring of 2014 for a little while, came back, it was summer, summer in New York City, spent the summer at your house a little bit mm-hmm. and then I went to live upstate New York at a retreat center uh, mm-hmm. a Buddhist uh, a retreat center. And I got really deep into my practice and then I decided that I was going to go on this 30-day meditation retreat. Mind you, for during that, thir- during that summer that I was, that was uh, after I was living at Moon, you, you guys' home in, in Soho, in the studio apartment in Soho that the three of us shared, um, I went to live upstate. And, and that upstate um, center, I was uh, working in the garden. Mm-hmm. And that was so life changing for me, you guys working in that garden. Oh my God. And then, okay, so then I go to Kathmandu, Nepal, and I'm doing a 30 day meditation retreat. And then it's the last week. And I didn't know if you were for sure coming to India when I left for Nepal. It was kind of this like, oh, I'm going, I don't know. There's so many things. There was a lot in the air. But then I have a, uh, a mental breakdown at the retreat. And I decide to call home. Because during my mental breakdown, I thought everybody had died. I thought my entire family had died. And I was like, I need to call my family right now. So I did what I had to do to get a hold of a phone during the retreat. And I called. And then I remember dad saying, 
you have to go meet Moon because she's in India. Her retreat started. And by the time you arrive there, by the time you meet her, she's going to be out of her retreat. So I was like, oh, my God, how epic. But part of me was a little bit like, oh, fuck, I have to go uh, to India because I had bought all this gear, you guys. I had bought all this gear, this boot, these thermals, this bag, all this waterproof stuff because I was going to hike Everest Base Camp. That's what I was going to mm-hmm. do after the retreat was over. So I've been preparing to hike Everest Base Camp, but I call my dad and my mom, and then they tell me, go to India as soon as your retreat's <laughs> over so you can meet your sister, so you can be there for her because she's in India by herself. So I just remember flying out of Kathmandu into New Delhi, New Delhi, Bodh Gaya, and then driving from the Bodh Gaya airport into Root Institute uh, in to meet you, night. in the middle of the night, to meet you. Yeah. And so you did your first 10-day silent retreat in Bodgaya. How was that? It was the beginning of, of, of what's all possible now. It was it was truly the 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 dough to the cake that I'm still making. It was that like the the you know the whole wheat, whatever the dough, whatever the flour is, that everything has been has been um blossoming from i met my first teacher the impeccable venerable sarah trashler who completely challenged everything i ever thought and i didn't even think and i didn't even know i was challenged and she was just this incredible presence of ease and grace and fierceness and i kept thinking i was just like oh wow it's possible to be so fierce about something so committed so devoted and so like she just spoke on Buddhism as if, as she spoke about the sky's blue, it rains and it stops, like with such conviction, such conviction that, that there was like, she just pierced right through me. And I was just like, oh, fuck, this is it. Like there was, there was a lot of doubt because I realized I was like, oh, wow, a lot that I thought was, it's really not, but there's something here. There was like the light at the end of the tunnel that I didn't even know was inside this motherfucking tunnel, dark, hiding, depressed, angry, all the things. And there, she's like, no, but there's a light. It's right here. Like, I broke myself, my whole entire, you know, what I believed I was, what I believed was life and anything and everything just shattered. And I, you know, had the support of the practice and her and the center and the community to just start to slowly pick myself up. And I mean, it was day four. I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to become a nun. I was like, this is it. I want what she's having. I want what she's having. That's it. I was, I was decided because at that point, I only knew my old life or being a nun. I didn't know that who I am, who, no, you and I are right now, who are the middle way, radical saints living in the mortal world. That is possible. I didn't know that. I thought, well, I'm either the old moon that I just wanted nothing to do with her. I remember I left New York being like, I don't know where I'm going, but I sure as hell do not want, I don't want to go back there. Uh, 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 uh. And so when I met Venerable Sarah, I just was like, oh, this is it. And, you know, my, my Seva, which is, you know, my job during the retreat was to open the door for her to ring the bell 5 a.m. And I was in heaven. I was just like, oh, my God, I could do this forever. I'm serving her. I'm opening the door. I'm ringing the bell. And I'm going, it just felt like, I didn't know that people could live that simply, that things could just be simple as like go in, practice, study, meditate, eat, do it all over again, talk about it, and then keep going. It, it was, I've, 
I've had this tendency of overcomplicating, overanalyzing and rehashing and then rehashing. And there I am just like, nah, it's like, here it is. This is the practice. This is the, this is the teaching. Go. Here's the technology. Get to work. Here's the exactly. mathematical equation, get to work. Here's the recipe, get to work. I want to talk about uh, being in the north, in the jungle, in the north of Thailand. You and I were studying permaculture in, the, in, the, in this jungle in Thailand. And then who do we see? And what, why, why do I feel the oh. need to tell this story? Uh, <laughs> Oh, it's a little trickster. I love Am I not an amazing interviewer? I think I'm great at what I do. Listen, the reason why I'm asking is because like we have so many times in our in our in our in our path of liberation and this path of becoming, of actualizing our truth, of becoming awakened Buddhists, of being saintly about uh, uh, sanctifying our whole path, right? Of being an instrument of peace. We have so many opportunities to regress. We have so many opportunities to regress. And the regression, the self-sabotaging, it's so seductive because it's so familiar. Walk in the path of healing. Walk in the path of liberation. Walk in the path of, 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 of sanctification. Walk in the holy path. It's very unknown. It's very new. You know, it's, it's constantly on the edge of the mystery every single day. It's just something new. It's a, it's a new experience. It's radically new. You know, we don't celebrate saints in our society. We celebrate people who have nothing to fucking say. So we don't know much about how saints have lived. We know now, it's you know, how a lot of this information is, is, has become mainstream. But there's a lot of radical, profound misinformation and so much ignorance and, and lies in this space, right? So I wanted to speak to the point of, like, us being in Thailand and you have Oh, I know what you're talking choice. about. You have this choice. Do I continue my path of liberation or do I go back? Who was there? Who was that person? So I'm just going to paint a picture for you guys a little bit clearer. Um, a month or a month and a half or so after Scott met me, we are in the north of Thailand doing this from our culture course. It's we, left India, we left India, went to Thailand. Well, you know, we went to the south of India first. We went to Amma's ashram. Went to we went all over the place. We went all yeah. over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, went to, right. we just kept ashram hopping and monastery, monastery hopping. Yeah, freedom yeah. junkies. We had now become freedom junkies. And we now were, we're in the we north were, of Yeah. So we're in the north of Thailand. And the second half of this permaculture retreat is that we're in this small island where there's literally three little centers. And it's our day off. I'm feeling so lit. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so spiritual. <laughs> I'm a Buddhist, even though I hadn't even taken vows yet, but I'm like, I'm a Buddhist. I know what I'm doing. This is it. I had just began my Dharma police routine. I mean, my Dharma police, um, uh, <laughs> my Dharma police <laughs> chapter, which I'll tell you all about. It. So I was really on one. Uh, uh, I was just like feeling so hot, you know, feeling so hot because I'm like, I'm so spiritual. I'm here in the spiritual course, you know, with all the hippies. Yes, I did it. And it's our day off. We go to this cafe to have some iced matchas and the real matcha, coconut milk, that whole thing. Uh, was that so nice? Wasn't that so nice? So oh simple. my god, I missed that time too. Keep going, keep going. Mm. And then who so walks we're in? We're sitting at that cafe. It was me, Stalin, like we were with with the, with our group. 
And I look up. I just hear. No, I don't look up yet. I hear someone say, hey, Sa. And I'm just like, I know this boy. <laughs> I turn. My whole body freezes. There's a knot in my stomach. And it was literally my ex-partner's voice. And I was just like, what are you doing? How the like, fuck what? did you know that we were in Thailand? In this middle nowhere jungle town. That is literally. Not, you can't like, make this shit up. You cannot make this shit, make this shit up, up. You know. You cannot make this shit up. It's not like you are in like a huge town or a huge city in a metropolis you are not it's a little city with like 100 200 westerners max when i see that i was just like okay is this a sign my first time oh my god is this a sign at first i was like for the first like 40 minutes i still smoking cigarettes at that time i remember sitting outside like oh my god 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 like a whole pack goes by and i'm literally frozen because i'm thinking oh i left my old life behind i'm done i'm free I'm just going forward. Who the fuck is that? I don't care. You know, it's like the first step, you're like, bye, girl. And then integration happens. But at that moment, I was just like, bye. I want nothing to do with you. And then this great message from the past shows up. And I'm like, what kind of, what kind of message is yeah. this? I remember yeah. thinking, what is this? What does this mean? It was very challenging because I was really this doubting. Test. It was a huge test. And I, I really was like, do I keep going or do we still have something? Am I supposed to be with this person? Are we supposed to do this together? And I really, I really asked and I really asked. And there was a two days after that, he came to visit us at our, at our farm. And I was literally, it was like another picture view. I'm like doing laundry outside with my hair on the fucking up thing. Emma, what are those things called? Yeah. Top bun. On the top bun. And, you know, doing my laundry outside, which is just washing clothes in a bucket, hanging them. And then he shows up and I'm like, okay, you're not the person. It was just something like there was a part of me just like, you're not the person. It's no longer, we're no longer doing that. And it was quite nice to see I went on a walk with him and I was still like, oh, wow. But there was something else inside of me that said, this is no longer, this is no longer the path. And I don't know what came over me. Obviously, I it just was like there was again that that I I touched another aspect of wisdom within me, and I'm so glad. You know, there was other moments later on that I was faced with this task and this challenge, but I was certain that I was like, okay, there's something else out there for me that I needed to do, and I needed to do it alone. You know, I was like, I need to figure this out by myself. Um, but those things do happen. It was very easy for me to just say, oh my god, yay, oh my god, a message from the universe, here it is, thank you. And I could have just gone right back to some old ways that um would Hell no. And I'm so me. glad you didn't. Yeah. I'm so glad you didn't and and you have blossomed to be such a an, an impeccable teacher, such an impeccable ally for those who are healing. I wanna jump years later. You went to do a 30-day silent retreat in Nepal. Uh, and before you went, and, and it was during uh, mom's cancer treatment, and it was so much uncertainty, and you're like, oh, my God, should I do it, should I not, should I do it, should I not? And, and you went, and on that journey, you got to sit with His Holiness Dalai Lama, Rubina, the Oracle, and Lama Zopa Rinpoche, four saints. In one journey. Can we talk and about... And Oh, my God. Excuse me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Please, dear Senzapamu, forgive me. Oh, my God, for forgiving that. For forgetting that. 
Guys, Tenzin Palmo, Venerable Tenzin Palmo is the guru, the saint that I took my Bodhisattva vow with. So you know how much uh, reverence I pay and homage to, to her, her eminence. Um, so let's talk about this. So we're talking about Tenzin Palmo. We're talking about his own as the Dalai Lama. We're talking about Rubina. We're talking about the Oracle. Uh, we're talking about Lama Zopa Rinpoche. Like, excuse me, you have this incredible uh, fertile ground, fertile soil to be in the presence of these saints. Like, mm. it, it, to not only be in the presence, but to actually hear to understand what they're saying. Mm. That's 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 really good karma, one would say, right? So let's talk about that. Paint us the picture. Um, I don't even know where to start. Let's talk about, let's start with Tenzin Palmo. I, I think it's important to just start with, it goes the really hand retreat. in hand. Uh, right. No, even before that, it goes really hand in hand with, are you committed to something? And then there's what some will call a test. You know, like a test from the universe, a test from karma. You know, old and virtuous seeds are still ripening and they show up in front of you. Which route are you going to take? Um, so just to give everyone a little bit of context, this is the end of 2019. It's November 2019 was when the retreat would start. But in June, in June of 2019, I moved to Florida to be with my mom for the first time for the first cancer treatment. I was living in New York and I relocated to being in Florida. So from June until November... I'm in Florida. And in August is when we're supposed to register for the November course. Ty and I had already talked. And I had already decided this is the year. I'm going this year. I'm going this year. I'm going this year. I was just like, I'm committed. I am going. And then cancer knocks on the door. Hell, thank you so much. The gifts of cancer. It was, a hell, it was an incredible experience, which we'll get to that. And it was also very challenging because I was very, I was very, conflicted with I'm taking care of my mom I am her caretaker but I've also committed to this next stage of my spiritual healing and liberation and also uh -huh. going on this retreat and being with my teachers and devoting myself to something that I know is beneficial not only for myself but for everyone and I'm also my mom's caretaker so it's like both of them would make complete sense to anyone uh -huh. and I remember actually talking to you you're like Moon just sign up just register you may not even get in right because thousands of people sign up and only 250 actually are accepted so I sign up. It was like another funny experience because you have to sign up at like 10 p.m. here, which is like morning time in Nepal. I remember being, you know, like, did you do it? Did you do it? And I was like, I think I did it. I think I did it. I said, <laughs> I, said, I, said, I hope it did. And then like three days later, you hear that you, you got in. So November, October comes around. And I, again, ex had to exercise a lot of trust and a lot of allowing others to show up for me because then it was the perfect time that you came to stay with mom. It was the perfect time that my dad took a step. It was the perfect time that others could also be there for her where I had created the story that I had to do it. You know, that it was me. It was my job. And it wasn't. Everyone were playing their roles. And I, and I decided, I was like, I'm going to go. It was very hard to leave her. It was also, you know, she was still in treatment and she was going to have her surgery. But I knew there was a part of me that just knew that I just needed to do that. It was like literally, I, I, my life, it was part of me, it was just like my life depends on it. It's like I was so compelled to do it and to go. And it was, like you said, it was insane karma, insane. Like you cannot write this stuff up that in one trip, I mean, I'm overseas for six weeks and I see five of the highest living masters of our time from Tibetan Buddhism and Buddhism. So it was. 
Right? Oh my god. Like that. Like that. It was it was it, it transformed me as a person, as a teacher. It solidified my commitment to the Dharma. It solidified my my dedication to being a female messenger of the Dharma. And I had again the other opportunity to meet the venerable Rubina. I mean, I studied with Rubina, but before that I, I stepped and I had a I had a private audience with and then Palmo and so this is before Again. Copan, yeah. So this, this is before, before thirty days. This is before the thirty days starts. You arrive yeah. at Dharamsala in the north of India, in this little town. Uh, yes, and, and you see his holiness yeah. is teaching for three days at at um, his house, right? At his temple, yeah. At his temple, at his house, his temple. He's teaching for three days. Thousands of people are there, and. We go. To, I go to the teachings. It was. What was it like being in the presence of such a, a realized being? It is one of those things that you know. I don't think we have found vocabulary for it yet. I haven't. I haven't actually found words to fully describe what it means to just be like. You know, you're crying and you're laughing and you feel sad and then you feel held, even though you're hundreds of feet away from them, for him, from him, and you also. I just remember feeling like. There's nowhere else that I that I would rather be or that I needed to be. Like literally, like oh, okay, everything else is happening at home, and this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. It was also like, you know, I'm 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 sweating and my heart's palpitating and I'm excited and I'm sad and I'm also just like again this feeling of feeling whole and feeling alive that like I spoke earlier, thinking that it wore on all of those vices and all those alliances. There's this person who has literally realize so much of what we're studying has had direct experience with deeper levels of awareness higher levels of awareness and you sense it you're in his presence and there is parts of you that just stay quiet <laughs> just relax and just are like oh things are possible love is possible compassion is possible you know healing is possible like things are possible when you are in the presence of someone like that uh-huh. and before I left for the 30 day, I had my private audience with Tenzin Palmo, which was, <laughs> there were so many emotions from leading up to that, leaving Florida and being there that I just walked in, did my frustrations, and just said, just sit. And I didn't stop crying for a whole seven minutes, which now is like, oh, seven minutes. But like, if you're just crying and someone's sitting next to you, but you literally can't stop. I remember looking at my little Casio watch. I'm like, oh my God, it's been seven minutes and I have a giggle and she's just there. Yeah. Not one part of her is judging. Not one part of her is telling me to stop. Literally just a presence of compassion, of acceptance. And then she just says, come here, holds my hand, and looks at me with those bright, huge blue eyes and says, okay. Oh, my God. And then a whole other wave of tears go. But then I literally, again, felt this sense of safety and belonging that we all so deeply long for. And we had some profound conversations. And one of the things that I asked her was, I told her, I was just like, I still very much contemplate becoming a nun. I very much do, you know, think about it. And I wonder, you know, I'm like, what do you think? You no, know, I mean, we talked about many things and that came up and I, and she says, no, she didn't hesitate. She just looked at me and said, no. And I was like, she's like, a person like you, a woman like you in the West with this much dedication and curiosity for the Dharma, that is what we need. But as a, as a lay person in the West, and I was just like, oh shit. She's like, go, keep doing what you're doing. I'm like, got it. Copy, oh. copy that. 
Mm-hmm. It was it was literally again this fierce reminder that <laughs> this is really what I was supposed to do, and it makes total sense, you know. Ever since, everything has just transformed, and yeah, you know, we need those we need those reminders, we need those teachers, we need those alliances, you know, we need those people that have walked the path and have gone through the hardships. I mean, you know, since Obama lived in a in a cave for twelve years, Rabina has has been studying and speaking and teaching for over 40 years. And right. you, feel the, you feel the depth of their practice in their presence. You know, we need our teachers. We need people that can remind us and show us. And also, it's, those, it's the alliances. Again, it's, I keep saying this word because it's very necessary. It's just having those alliances with others, with the Dharma. So what alliances? Yeah, okay. Tell me about mm-hmm. the, what are the, the correct skillful alliances to have? And then, and so then I, we need to go yeah. back. We need to go back to talk about 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 uh, sitting in the presence of the of Kadrulu, the oracle, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And Lama Zopa. In short, you guys, use. I want to hear you talk about the alliances, but mm-hmm. I definitely want to just remind you guys that that you know, being a presence of Lama Zopa Rinpoche, which was my first my first guru, the guru that I took refuge with. And then being in the presence of Kadrula, the oracle, uh, it's just you're in the presence of these of these fully awakened beings who have who have dissolved all duality, whose hearts are just profoundly open, who they walk the path of peace so effortlessly. Although there's been tremendous effort to reach a place where peace is effortlessly mm-hmm. uh, effortlessly uh, uh you know it just comes out of you so effortlessly right so and people say this to me all the time it's like oh so you 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 are so effortless i'm like girl if you only knew the amount of effort that's being that i've had to put into to being who i am today and and again i uh i'm so far from enlightenment so far from being uh, a, a glimpse of of of, of close to, to what these masters that we're speaking of are, but it's just interesting to to be able to kind of uh, to just understand the impact, to try to understand something and try to explain something that, that we have no words to describe, but what happens inside of us when we are next to these awakened beings, you know? The entire inner narrative just falls silent. Like the nervous mm-hmm. system just all of a sudden relaxes. Um, it, it, it feels like you're drugged, you know, because all of a sudden, the, the the it's silent inside, but you start to hear the silence speak to you, and it's it's so mm. beautiful. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a song of beauty. It's a song of love. It's a song of kindness. It's a song of patience. It's like all of a sudden mm. you're hearing this the sound of your heart, you know, the the music that comes from your heart when when you experience the silence, this inner silence. That I'm speaking about, and it, it just—it's so—it really is like a—it's bigger than a feeling. It's bigger than a thought. It's a gnosis. These these downloads from the silence from our heart—it's a full body knowing. It's just mm-hmm. an immersive experience, you know. Um, okay, back to you. Let's let's just. Um, uh, I definitely need to talk to you because we're coming up to the last ten minutes, and I t- need to talk to you about. Oh my goodness. I know. Uh, I need to talk to you about forgiveness, and also I need to talk to you about these other uh, saints that you've sat with. 
And the 30 days, what is it like to sit and do these practices for 30 fucking days? Completely revolutionary. Completely. <laughs> it's like you don't know what hits you until you're there. And the first few days, you're so excited. I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, oh my God, it's the 30 days. And we've been there. Oh, because I'm we've been there. Is just one of those teachers. She's truly the the epitome of a radical saint because she's real, she's raw, she's honest, she curses, she's here, she's present, and she just lived out her fullest. Um, does not matter what is around her, and you feel that, and you feel also she gives you the permission. I felt the total permission to be me fully as I desire, as long as I'm devoted to being of service and to being honest as I possibly can. She gives you that permission and there isn't anything that is bad or wrong. Um, I mean, in sitting for 30 days, it's, it's, it completely changes you because you do the same thing. There's a level of repetition, the level of practice of being with the community, of not being distracted, of not having phone and other things that just keep us out of being in that present moment. And of course, you're stretched. I was stretched unlike ever in my entire existence and it was some of the most foundational, you know, times of my life that I was actually just talking about it with mom and dad the other day about the, the seven days that were taking precepts that were only having dinner, you know, we we're only having lunch, lunch we're only having yeah. lunch. And, uh, you know, it's a, such a powerful practice for us to look at our attachments and look at our aversions and just like take a really close, epic look at your mind. We don't do that often when we're just living our busy lives, even though we make time for practice, but when you completely get out of your life, quote unquote, your surroundings, your comfort, and you're placed in a, in a place where you're there to practice, to be in community, to study, to stretch, things do change. Things get silent, like you said, and, and potential arises because it's there. We just have to create the conditions for it. And, and it, was, it, it was impeccable because Kajrola was a surprise. We didn't know she was coming. And there were some rumors in the monastery that Kajula is coming. Kajula is coming. And I'm just like, what do you mean Kajula is coming? I was just like, what are you talking about? You know, the only time they were able to talk is during the discussions, uh, one-hour discussion groups. And they were talking in my discussion group, Kajula is coming, Kajula is coming. I'm just like, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's just like kissing. It's just like, what? The Oracle is coming. The Oracle is coming. Of course. I, I find out she's coming tomorrow. I put on my the cleanest dress I have. She washes the hair. I'm like, let me show up to this eminence, to this person. I'm on the second row. And I, and I, it's like, it's important to also give, like show up in a way of like offering respect for all the work that she has done for all. Mm. Like, and she's gone through a very challenging I time to that. come out of Tibet into the state, into the state, or into Dharmasala to find his wholeness and to, to really recognize that she is, an asset and she is an awakened being that has been a huge support to him. She's an oracle. So she comes and we're all chanting Om Tare Tutare Ture Soha Om Tare Tutare Ture. And she walks. We all prostrate and she sits there and there's this whole few minutes that she's talking to the attendants and to the other monks that she does not want to sit on the big chair where, you know, the other teachers, Rubina and and um not Rubina uh, and Lama Zopa sits. She was so humble. She's like, no, that's my teacher's seat. I sit here. It was this whole thing that I was like, oh, a woman in her stature, in her awareness, in her, everyone knows who she is. Of course, she's also aware of her power, but the level of humility, I was like, ah, oh, 
that's really what it's like. She doesn't need to. There is no effort any longer because her presence is full of ease and confidence mm-hmm. and and grace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and she had a translator, so it was really beautiful to also see her speak and then wait for the translator. And there isn't anything that's like she's not. There's no part of her that is like getting uncomfortable and changing. She's like fully there, present, at peace. You sense you you are in their presence, and something also becomes relaxed and at ease within your inner world. Like the chatter starts to slow down because her inner world is also so quiet and so open, you know, mm. so vast. That's it. And you feel it. it. I felt mm. that. I touched it. I was just like, oh, oh, wow. It was mm. like, oh, I took a glimpse of something other than what I had known before. Mm. Yeah, it's an I insane love honor. This. Oh my god. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Wow. Tell me about the role of forgiveness in your life. Hmm. Yeah. Because, well, oh, the role of forgiveness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry to jump. One second. I asked you what we're getting on to this, to this whole new thing we're talking about. Whole other thing we're talking about. We're talking about um, alliances. And I asked you, like, what are the alliances? Mm. So I want you to talk about forgiveness first and then the alliances. Okay. Please. Okay. So a funny thing was that when I started studying Buddhism, all, all of our teachers are like, what do you mean forgiveness? You know, <laughs> in Buddhism, this is, this is something that in the traditional texts, it's not like they've learned Buddhism, but we've had to create a meaning for forgiveness because we hold grudges and we make people bad because of their mistakes. We, they become their mistakes where it's something that the Buddha was like, no, that's not true. You you're, are not your mistake. Everyone is redeemable. You are not defined by them. So there was something I was just like, huh, if this was not in the text, then we've made up this whole shit and we've created a big hole of grudges and blaming and shaming and defining and boxes. And just like, I was so hard on myself for so many years about so many things, hurting others and thinking terrible things about others. And then we're, when I started studying karma, I'm like, oh my God, look at all that karma. Oh my God, oh my God. But in Buddhism, it's like, just plant virtuous seeds, just do good, just take care of people. But we do need this aspect of reconciliation, which is what I think, for me, what the real premises of uh, forgiveness is. It's like you have a reconciliation with yourself and who you recognize you truly are. Mm. And offering forgiveness to yourself is just remembering that you are not that mistake. You know, you've cheated, you've hurt others, but you're not a cheater. You're not a, a bad person you know we are all innately good innately good meaning inborn we came into this life good and we will go just as good Mm. and we have to separate our actions and our behaviors and our habits from the truth of who we are and forgiveness is forgiveness is that is the perfect nectar that just unhooks us from this uh, again like you said illusion that we are those mistakes so we forgive which really means that we give ourselves another chance uh, we're forgiving others for hurting us it's just giving ourselves another chance to believe again to try again and of course letting go of holding so tightly you know it's this conditioning that we have of wanting to hold down to things wanting to make them ours it's it's again an illusion of safety and control but it's not it's just like i'm going to stay comfortable in my cute little story and this is who I am, and I'm this person. It's just like sticking, sticking, sticking. All we're really doing is just getting further and further and further away from our truth. But nonetheless, the truth is always there. 
it's not like it disappears. It may just take more work, but there isn't a way out forward and through without forgiveness. It's like you want to walk through to the other side. The key is the practice. Forgiveness is the door. You just got to go. Oh my God, I knew I needed to ask you about it because I knew you were going to (laughs) deliver. Shit, honey, that was epic. Oh my God. Wow. Oh my God. I think it's important to just add something to very quickly that people think, you know, that and immaturely, which I used to do it as well, that you think, oh, I forget, it's done. And it's just like, nothing is like that. You know, the same way that when you break, you break your ankle and you will do physical therapy for a very long time until your ankle is healed. That's the same thing. You forgive. You will be forgiven for a very long time until that story no longer sticks. You said this to me a long time ago. And then some point, sooner or later, you close the book and you're going to put it up on the shelf and you start writing a new one. But you have to keep doing it. It's a very active, engaged, and humbling, again, it's a humbling practice because you have to look at yourself and you have to look at what you have done and be able to separate yourself from those patterns and recognize that I did that, but I am not that. Same thing with everyone else. Forgiveness also reminds us that we're all the same. Everyone has, everyone's worthy of a chance, not just us, future people. No, everybody, everybody, the same. Mm, I love this <laughs> so much. Let's talk about the alliances. Yes. So alliances, the real, uh, the real word where I speak of alliances, but the true word is refuge. You know, you take refuge, you go for alliances, you rely on people, places and things. And we have them. We all have them without even knowing what they are. So we rely on food and alcohol and negative thoughts and behaviors and Netflix and binging and, and gossiping and shutting down. We all have things, people, emotions that we rely on, that we trust, that we have alliances with. So thinking about the true virtual alliance is the place that we can go for solid, sustainable, reliable support are the three places of refuge, which is also known as the three jewels, no, the triple gem in Buddhism, which are things that are not fleeting. They do not change. They're, they're not um, dependent on anything other than your willingness in yourself. So the first one is the alliance of you have an alliance on your Buddha nature, your good nature, your potential, your power. Your power, your good heart. You know, you may call it your soul. You may call it your heart. You may call it your people may call it your higher self. But we're all talking about the same thing. The part of you that is always at ease, full of full of wisdom, full of love, full of kindness, full of forgiveness. That part of you that is there, it's a seed within every single being. The second one, alliance, the second alliance, the second place of refuge is the Dharma, which is the practice. So not only the practice that we do every single day, but how we live our life. That is our Dharma, Uh, how you live your life, uh, what you do with that thought, what you do with, with your words, what you do with your actions. That is your Dharma, that is your practice, and that is the second place of refuge. So... You take refuge in sitting for meditation the same way that you rely on your practice to remind you of your truth, but you of your truth, but you also rely on how you are living your life. Is that in alignment? Is that in resonance? Is that all honoring who you know you truly are? So again, everything in Buddhism so beautifully connects and, and it's just like this perfect um, assembly of, of mat of just you know incredible things. Anyways. Third one is 
The most important alliance where everything truly comes to life is the Sangha. The Sangha is our spiritual friends, our community, like Sai and I, all of us here. This is what makes it all go around. You know, there's no point in you realizing your potential and doing your practice, and then there's no Sangha. It doesn't go anywhere. You literally fall flat. Like the Buddha said, the Sangha is the path itself. So relying, trusting, allowing others to be there for you, putting your trust in someone to help you when you need, or, you know, relying on someone to remind you when you've forgotten, calling that friend, or just reaching out for a, to a friend, or taking a course with, with a teacher, and building that community, whatever it may be, but being around others, or cultivating a community where others are sharing the same heart values that you are. People are also longing to be celebrating and witnessed and loved and wanting to make a difference and wanting to make a greater impact. These are your spiritual, your spiritual friends and the most legendary part, legendary part of this, of this path and in the last alignment. Mm, wow. <laughs> I love this. The alliances. Ah, so epic. Oh my goodness. I feel like we just started to kick in. I There's know. so much more to talk about. We're going to have to bring you back for, uh, for a second episode. Uh, okay. 100%. I yeah, I know. 100%. 100%. <laughs> Listen, what, how, how do you define, uh, what does is, what is being spiritually sassy mean to you? Mm -hmm. uh, I think of spiritual sassy and I see you dancing. So that's a really good thing that happens in my mind already. <laughs> uh, What I believe spiritually passive means is freedom. It's freedom, it's love, it's presence, it's not trying to find anything, but realizing that it is there and how you show up is how you are supposed to show up. You know, there's a sense of like you feel so at ease in your choices and who you are, and that means that you are bold and full and loud and clear and colorful, and some days you're not. And just that level of honesty and genuine choice with everything that you think, say, and do, that is spiritually sassy. That always comes back to a place of like, how can I be a force of good? How can I be a force of joy and laughter and love? And how can I look back at my life and think, well, I did good. You know, even look back at your day. You know, spiritual sassy, you go back, you go to sleep and you're like, oh, I did good today. I made people laugh. I laughed. <laughs> I, I cried. I shared. I, I I just, I was fully human, fully, fully human, alive, mysterious, contradicting, but, but none of the last just whole and holy at the same time. Yeah. Mm, say it, girl. That was so good. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, where can we find you? And uh, yeah. You can find me on Instagram, Moon de Simone, M-O-U-N-D-S-I-M-O-N-E. This is also my website, mundesimone.com. And is there anything yeah. that we need to know right now that you are uh, offering that we should? Yeah, this, join? This, the practices of the alliances, which I have called, um, I've created a curriculum that is the teaching of the alliances in the place of refuge called the Three Secret Muses. Um, we do have an advanced um, women's group mentorship program that begins at the end of September. I don't know really when we're airing this, but I often have this running a few times a year. Um, and then I also have a modern Dakini teachings and rituals that will kick off 
in the beginning of October, which will be very exciting. All the teachings and the rituals of a modern Dakini. So, oh my yeah. God, this sounds epic. Well, thank God for you. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank I can't God wait to you, see you next love. week. You. I can't wait to see I you next know. week in New York. Love you. I love you so much, Sal. Bless you. Thanks for all that you are, my love. Mwah. Mwah. Love you all. Much love. Mwah. <laughs>